I, uh, I want to show you a picture of uh, the lead band singer of Corn, uh, and this guy's name is Brian Head Welsh. Have you ever heard of the band Corn? Yeah, in the 1990s, they redefined the new rock genre, and Corn uh, became wildly successful almost overnight. Brian Head, as he's known, at Welch, uh, is the lead singer. They won uh, two Grammys, their albums went gold, and in the next 11 years, they sold more than 30 million, I'm sorry, yeah, 30 million records in, in 11 years. But he did something rather rare in 2005, even for the music industry. And so if you would, permit me just to share just a little bit of a story. I rarely read to you. I have never read to you at the beginning of a a message. Never. But you're awake, and it's 8 o'clock, and that's good. So I just want to share just a little bit of his story, and it's going to lead into what our scripture writer, Madeline Dittmer, read for us in John chapter 12. Here's what Brian Head Welsh said. He said, I worshiped a lot of stuff. Worship means love, and I loved a lot of things. I loved partying, I loved music, I loved money, and I worship money. He said, but money wasn't enough. There was a a time in high school when I went on stage and saw all those people loving my music and loving me. There were all those girls after me and people worshiping and going nuts for me. I was puffed up on the inside. I started thinking, I'm important. And that's when the drugs crept in, the coke and the meth. The drugs helped Head hold on to that feeling of euphoria. They brought relief, but the feeling never lasted. My daughter Jenna then was born, and my daughter Jenna came into the world. And it was such a euphoric feeling that Jenna was beautiful, and I just loved her. And I was on the road with Metallica, Kid Rock, and System of Down when my wife called, and she was freaking out. She said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And I called home, and I called home, but this call stopped. Finally, one day, my wife called me back, and she said, Ryan, I'm leaving you, and I, want, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I got a guy. He's just a friend, but he's going to protect me from you so you can't hurt me while I leave you. And from that point on, Head took care of his daughter. She traveled with him on his tours. Head made sure that Jenna was safe. Big, beefy security guards would take her on stroller rides while they were on tour. But the drugs and the alcohol crept back into his life. One evening before showtime, Head looked down at his beautiful daughter and she was singing. Her little voice was beautiful. Wait, he said, what are you singing? He could not believe it. His daughter was singing one of his own songs, A-D-I-D-A-S, All Day I Dream About Sex. And the full weight of his life was crumbling on him. What am I doing, he said. I'm a junkie. My daughter is singing all day I dream about, and I'm going to die. And that's when a friend named Eric came into his life. Eric, with a shyness in his eyes, said, I hope you don't take this wrong, but there's this scripture verse, dude, that keeps jumping out at me. I've never done this before, so I'm not really even sure what to do. But this scripture verse is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And it says, come to me, all who are wearied and burdened, I will give you rest. And Brian Head Welsh said, that verse struck a powerful chord in my soul. He tried everything to get pleasure out of life, but he'd come up empty. He reached for the stars and saw his wildest dreams come true. He got more money and more fame than he ever thought from playing a guitar. But the burden, the burden never left. The hole in his heart never was filled, and his life was spiraling out of control. 
I'm weary and burdened, said Head, and I need rest for my soul. He felt the verse cry into his soul. And Eric, this friend, and his wife invited Head to church. And he saw that verse again. And when Head came to church that morning, the pastor was speaking on that very verse, Matthew chapter 11, 28. He said, I couldn't believe it. I felt God was calling to me. He said, then I went to to church, and there God was preaching to me from the pastor. I go home, he said, and I did what I, no, I'm sorry. First of all, he said, I said the prayer. I said the prayer to receive Christ into my life. I don't know if it was real or not, but it was real to me. And then I went home, and I did what I always did. I neglected my daughter, and I took my drugs. Jesus, you've got to take these drugs away from me, he said, in one last desperate prayer to God. Search me right now. Search my heart. Take them away. I can't do it on my own. And suddenly, Head said, I felt like heaven invaded earth all around me, and I was just in awe of the feeling of euphoric bliss. I looked up, and I was shaking. He said, I felt God. I can't explain it. I can't define it. I just knew God was there. I knew God had heard my prayer. It was so powerful that the next day he said, I threw away all my drugs and I quit my band. I quit corn. I'm quitting corn and I'm going to raise my kid the right way, he said. And then I said to my daughter, Jenna, daddy's going to be home with you all the time. I'm quitting my career. And her face lit up. She felt so special. Brian admits that in many ways, life after Jesus has been harder. Many of his greatest fans became his greatest critics when he quit the band. But Brian knows that Jesus does not offer to take away the noise. He offers rest as the city roars and as the night shrieks of trouble. He offers comfort in the middle of craziness. He offers love, purpose, and meaning. He offers what no one else can do. He offers rest. What a story. And Brian today is an outstanding and outspoken person who's witnessing and sharing his faith and sharing the love of Jesus Christ to all these people. He found rest. Our story today is about a woman named Mary. And a woman named Mary found this peace. She found this rest in Christ. And every time we see Mary, we see her three different times in Scripture, we always find her at the feet of Jesus. She's always hanging around the feet of Jesus, and she's worshiping Jesus. And I love this story. It's called an anointing. And I'm not really sure why it's called the anointing. I guess I am. You anointed kings, you anointed priests, you anointed prophets, and you anointed dead people. And Jesus was all. He was a king of kings. He was a prophet. He was a priest. And he's going to be dead in a few, a few days from that now. And she recognized that, so she's going to anoint him. But, but I, I think this is a love story. I'm not sure I would call this, it's okay, the Bible says, calls it, you know, the subtitle calls it the anointing, but I think it's a love story. And so in John chapter 12, I want you to look at this amazing story through the eyes of love. So John chapter 12, here, here's verse 1. It says, six days before, Beth, before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. This is it. 
This is the last week of Jesus' life. When he hits this Passover, that's when it's all going to come down on him. So it's just six days before the Passover. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Now, what we learn from Matthew, what we learn from Mark, is that they're not having this dinner at Lazarus' home. They're actually at Simon the leper's home. I didn't know that till this week. This story's told three different times, three different places. And also in Matthew and Mark, we learn that, that Mary's going to anoint not just his feet as she does in John, but in Matthew and Mark, same woman, same house, Simon the leper's house, she anoints his head as well as his feet. So they go to, La- go to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, as if you didn't know who Lazarus was, right? She couldn't figure this out. Look at verse 2. And here a dinner was given. A dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. And where do we always see Martha? What's she doing? She's always serving, isn't she? Every time we see Martha, she's the one that's busy. I guess somebody's got to get it done. While Jesus was among those reclining at the table. So Lazarus is just watching. Martha's just serving. Like in verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, and we learn again from Matthew, and we learn from Mark a little bit more about the story. This was about a year's wages. This is how valuable this is. I did a little bit of research this past week, and this actually came from the Himalayas, and it was traveled a long ways. And so I guess shipping costs were expensive, but this was very, very expensive uh, perfume. And she takes this perfume, and she pours it on Jesus' feet. And she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. Now, Mary's in love. And when you're in love, love's extravagant, right? When, you do, when you're in love, you, you do things that are whimsical. You do things that are grand. You do things that are great. Probably the most phenomenal story I've, I've ever heard about this comes from a Washington, D.C. lawyer who is also a, uh, a law professor at Pepperdine. Kind of funny. D.C.'s on one coast and, and Pepperdine's in the other coast. But Bob Goff, G-O-F-F, Bob Goff uh, is a law professor and uh, Bob Goff said that he and his wife own this beautiful home. There's this large body of water uh, in their backyard. They've got this large, huge porch. And so he said, my wife and I, Maria, we like to sit on the porch. We like to just watch the water. And there's this path. And people come walking through the path. Couples are holding hands. Kids are singing and dancing on the path. And he said, we just love to sit on our porch. He said, one afternoon, late afternoon, he said, there's this young man who just starts waving to us. He said, we don't know the young man. The young man just keeps waving awkwardly long. And so we, we, we wave back, you know, hi. And, and the young man bounces up to our porch. And he says, hi. He said, I'm Ryan and I'm in love. And I would like to use your porch to ask my, my girlfriend if she could become my fiance. Is it okay if I use your porch? Bob Goff said, well, yeah, sure. And so Ryan just bounced off. He said, Ryan came back in about three days. And Ryan said, I, I got another question, Mr. Goff. I know we don't know each other. We didn't meet, meet met till three days ago. He said, but I'd like to know if maybe you and your wife, when I'm on your porch, could you and your wife serve my girlfriend and I dinner? 
Bob Goff said, I didn't know what to say. He said, my mouth just got open and my wife just stared. And I said, sure. And he said, Ryan just bounced off. He said, sure enough, Ryan comes back about five days later. And Ryan said, Mr. Goff, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, he said, would it be okay if 20 of my closest friends could come on your porch and be our servers that night? He said, my wife's mouth is wide open. He said, I didn't know what to say. I said, I said, sure, Ryan, bring 20 of your friends to our home that you don't know, and we'll serve you dinner, and we'll be glad to do it. Ryan bounces off. He's gone now for about six days. He comes back after the sixth day, and he says, Mr. Goff, Mr. Goff. He said, would it be too much to ask? And Bob Goff thought, oh, no, what's he going to ask for now? He said, would it be too much to ask, do you have any speakers because I'd really like to dance with my fiance after you serve us dinner. And he said, Ryan, I don't have speakers, but I'll find speakers. I'll get speakers so that you can dance. Ryan's gone now for about seven days. And Bob Goff said, I'm looking forward to Ryan because Ryan's crazy. He said, I just, he said, I'm a law professor. He said, but this kid, he just broke the mold. Sure enough, Ryan comes bouncing back. And Ryan said, Mr. Goff, Mr. Goff, he said, do you have a boat? Ryan, I do have a boat. He said, well, after, you know, we have dinner and after we dance, he said, can we get into your boat and maybe you take us out in the water? And he said, and, we'll, and I'll propose to her at a certain spot in the water. And Bob Goff said, my wife at this point just starts laughing hysterically because this kid, because when you're in love, you will do crazy, extravagant things. And Bob Goff said, so the night came. And there we are, and she comes up to the little porch, and she says, what are we doing? He says, it's okay, it's okay, and he sets her down, and he says, we've been cooking the food, and 20 of their greatest friends are now serving impeccable service. Then there's music, and then there's dancing, and after the meal, and after the dancing, he said, we take, he takes her out by my little dock, and he said, I'm in the boat, I'm going to captain my own boat, and he said, sure enough, he leads her into the boat. She says, Ryan, what are we doing? He said, it's okay, it's okay. They get in the boat, I'm at the helm, they get into the bow of the boat, he says, and we take off. He says, and we get to the certain spot. And right when we get to the certain spot, he said, just in case Ryan got all choked up, he had 50 of his friends on the shore in front of her with candles spelling out the words, will you marry me? And Bob Goff said, I got one up on him. I called the Coast Guard. He didn't see the boat slip in behind us. And right when she said, yes, I gave the Coast Guard the thumbs up. And this fire truck from the Coast Guard blew off every water cannon they had, water shooting, water spraying. He said it, it rivaled a scene in New York Harbor on the 4th of July with a Statue of Liberty in the background. <laughs> he said Ryan was in love. He knew no limits. He knew no bounds. He would, he would scale any mountain to, to propose. That's Mary. In our story... This is a woman who had recognized who Jesus was. Nobody else in this scene seems to understand what's about to happen. But when you're in love, you pay attention. When you're in love, you believe what's going on. Now, why was Mary so in love with Jesus? I don't know Mary's story. You don't know Mary's story. Did she realize that she'd been forgiven from such an amazing life of sin? I guess was it that Mary understood that Jesus was about to die? Was it that Mary took Jesus' words at, 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 at what he said? Because when he said, I'm going to lay down my life, did, did she believe him? Apparently she did. You see, I think Mary realized that she got to be in the family picture. 
I think Mary realized that she got to be at the family table. You see, she wasn't righteous like Noah or like Daniel or like Samuel, but Mary realized, I am in the family picture. I'm here, and I get to be at the table with the Savior of the world. And Mary was overwhelmed with gratitude. Let's read the rest of the story. John chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. It's not as encouraging. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't the money uh, perfume sold, the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, in this story, there are about six different groups of people, and they're all watching. Everybody's watching what's going on. First of all, you've got Lazarus. Now, Lazarus had been raised from the dead, and you would think if there was anybody at this environment who would be worshiping Jesus, it would be Lazarus. But Lazarus is just watching. You've got Simon the leper, who's been cleansed of leprosy. Now, again, we know he had to be cleansed of leprosy, because if he wasn't cleansed of leprosy, he couldn't be even in the city, and he certainly couldn't be in the home, and he certainly couldn't have guests over. So this leper has been healed by the Messiah, the divine physician, and he's just watching. Lazarus is watching. Simon the leper is just watching. You've got Martha, who should be grateful that her brother was raised from the dead by the resurrection and the life, but she's not worshiping. She's watching. You've got 11 out of the 12 disciples who are just kind of watching what's going on. They're in the presence of the king. The king is in their midst, and they're not worshiping. They're just watching. And then you've got Judas, and he's got his own agenda going on. He's not worshiping. He's worshiping himself. The only one in the crowd, the only one that day who was not watching but was worshiping was Mary. What did she begin, how did she be freed from, forgiven from, and freed for? I, I don't know. I don't know why she got it and why everybody in the house didn't get it. The question this morning is, do you get it? That's the question this morning. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Do you have you figured out how great he is? Or are you just kind of watching like everybody else? Most believers today are just kind of watching. But when you get to the place where you're worshiping, Because you understand who he is, and you kind of understand who you are, and you understand how much you've been forgiven. You can't help but be extravagant, because love is always extravagant. And so here's Mary. She does something that's undignified. She takes out her hair And that long, jet black Jewish woman's hair probably falls to the ground. And she takes what's probably her inheritance, which is probably her 401k, which is probably her future. And she takes her future 
and she breaks the seal and the pungent smell begins to permeate the entire room. And she begins to pour this all over Jesus. This story, especially his feet. And then she takes her hair and begins to use it as a towel. And she's just rubbing off the excess perfume that's fallen all over the place. And she's just using her hair. And her hair's now oily and, and messy. And everybody in the room smells it. Everybody in the room sees it. And they're like, wow, what is going on? And Jesus says, what she has done will be told in memory of her wherever the gospel is preached. Why? Because love does. Love is just extravagant. When you're in love, you don't care what people are thinking. You don't care what people are doing. You don't care what's going on around you. You're in awe of your current situation. And so how do you measure this? And so I, I, I like these kind of sermons, but I don't like them when we can't put some feet to it or a baseline to it. And so how, how do you measure, you know, your love or how would you measure someone's love? So I, I, I want to give you 12 quick pieces. They're, 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 they're a little test, a little test that kind of help you figure out maybe where you are when it comes to, to your love. So the first one is this. I, I think you've spent time. Uh, you spent time and effort. See, you, you, you've tried to check this all out. And this is where people are at today. And this is so cool. Even last weekend, one of my neighbors become, has come to our church now, I think, three times. And after church, we're out in the lobby. And he said, Kurt, I, I, don't, I don't know about the whole Jesus thing. I, I don't know about the whole Jesus thing, but, I, but I'm trying. And I just, I reaffirmed him because he's trying to figure out who Jesus is. Most of you in the room have already figured that out. But, but when you measure your love, you spend time trying to figure out who Jesus is. Look at the next one. You've right-sized yourself. In other words, it's life's not about you. When you're in love with God, when you're in love with Jesus, you figured out to be humble. Nobody's strutting to the, to the cross. Nobody's strutting to the communion table. Nobody's going to strut this afternoon out into the waters of Christian baptism. When you've kind of figured out who he is and who you are, you have right... I've, I came up with that term myself. Do you like that? Humble's a better word, but I like the word right-sized. You've right-sized yourself. You understand where, where you are. Number three, you honor him. Number four, you're able to lean in his direction. You serve him. The next one. When you honor him, you love his word. When you're in love with him, you love his scriptures. You love to meet with him regularly. It was just worship. Your heart breaks for what breaks his heart. I, I like that one. When you're in love with Jesus, the things of this world, the things of your family that break his heart, those things break your heart. You're a kingdom person. You're not just about your little turf. You're about the kingdom of God. You give extravagantly. You trust and obey. And you're, you're moved internally. And so I want to say to you today that the greatest thing that you can ever do is fall head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. And five out of six people are watching. And one person, one person in the crowd, she was worshiping. And maybe the pushback is, Kurt, you don't know what I've done. You, you don't know where I've been. We don't know what Mary did. We don't know where Mary had been. 
We don't have a clue why she was so grateful for who Jesus was. But she was grateful because she understood that she too had a need for a Savior. Maybe, maybe you feel like you've disobeyed and you've disavowed and you've just disappointed Jesus in your life. But I'm here to tell you, even Dave during our communion this morning, he read that scripture in, in Romans chapter 5. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for you. And so Christ today is head over heels in love with you. I, I, I want a church. I want to be a part of a church that's not trying to manipulate people, not trying to cajole people, not trying to make people feel guilty. Some of you have had horrible church backgrounds and people have tried to make you feel guilty or they've made you feel guilty. And that's not the kind of church we want to be. You see, I want you to be here this morning because you want to be here. I want you to be here this morning because you're in love with Jesus and you want to honor him. I know, I know that our offerings could be bigger and greater if I tried to make you feel guilty. I know that, but I don't want to do that. I I don't want to make you feel guilty. I want you to give extravagantly because you're in love with the king. I know we could have all our volunteer positions overflowing and filled if I made you feel guilty about all the different... I don't want to do that. I I don't think that's really what it's all about. I, I want you to be here because I think God wants you to be here because you're in love with him. It's not a I have to, it's a I get to. I mean, can you believe that Jesus died for you? I'm shell-shocked that the Savior of the world, the King of the universe, came, left his throne, came here, entered into our, our, our world so that you and I could live with him forever. And Mary got that. Mary recognized that. And so she was able to do that, which was extravagant because she was in love. So I want to encourage you just to fall head over heels in love with Jesus. There's nobody greater. There's nobody more worthy of your love and your affection than Jesus of Nazareth. And so this morning and today and tomorrow and the next day, isn't this really what it's all about? About us responding not out of guilt, not out of pressure, not because we have to, but my goodness, we get to. We get to love. We get to serve. We get to give. We get to honor. We get to spend time. We get to love his word. We get to pray. This is to me one of the greatest things of all is that you and I get to do these amazing things. I was at the Rays baseball game Monday night, and I had the best seat in the whole place. I really did. I had the closest seat to the field of anybody. I really did. A friend of mine from church took me. He had the second best seat. He gave me the first best seat. I had the closest seat. I'm looking into the dugout of all the players. I'm watching them. I mean, I I can spit on Tom Foley, the third base coach. That's how close. I wasn't about to spit on him. I like Tom. He's a friend of mine. I got the best seat, the closest seat, but still I'm watching. 
I'm not playing. I'm, I'm, even though I got the closest seat, I am still watching. I'm not playing. What he wants from you and what he wants from me is not just to watch, but he wants us to play. He wants us to join him on the field and he wants us to play. And so how do we do that? Well, you give your life to Christ. You see, when, when you realize who he is and who you are, you're not ashamed. You're not embarrassed. You're not, you're not afraid to say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And then this afternoon, we're going to baptize a whole bunch of people again at Honeyman Island Beach. And, and, and that's extravagant because you got to go out in front of everybody and declare that I'm going to identify with Jesus. And you get your hair wet and you go down into the water and everybody sees you and everybody recognizes you. But when you're in love, you don't care. You don't care because you want to identify with the greatest person in all of history. And I just wanted to show you our baptisms from August and invite you in just a couple of minutes to sign up to be baptized today if you haven't. Here's what we did in August. Look at, watch this. I think the greatest component of baptism is it's an identification um, with the body of Christ. And so the greatest event in all of history was Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so what baptism really is, is baptism is a symbol of that great event. You die to yourself, we bury your past, and, we, and you rise to a new life. And that's the symbol of Christian baptism. You're identifying with the greatest event in all of history. And so everybody who decides to become a Christ follower then identifies with that great event.
don't know if it's cooler for the person who gets baptized or for the people, those of us who get to participate or for those of us who get to watch it. it, it it's a true celebration. And, and you know, I, I really think that's what the significance of baptism is. Yes, you're identifying with the greatest event in all of history, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but it's a celebratory event. In other words, I can't see your heart. I, I can't see your faith. So many things that God asks us to do are internal, but I think he gave us baptism as an external event for us. I think we need a few things that are external that we can stick some flags in the ground and say, okay, I did this. I know at that point I identified my whole life with Christ in a physical, tangible way. The, uh, that's a cool video. It is. It is. So, so we, we invite you today, if you've never been baptized by immersion, we invite you today to come out and join us. Six o'clock, Honeyman Island Beach will start right on time. And, and sign up. Go to the kiosk today. Go to the connect desk today and sign up for the night. It's extravagant. It's extravagant. But love does. Love is always extravagant. Tell you what else I really like about this story. When you read the end of Matthew and you read the end of Mark and you read the end of Luke and you read the end of John and, and, and you see all these different people who came to the tomb and who went to the tomb because they were going to anoint Jesus' body with spices, you find a whole lot of Marys. There's a whole slew of Marys. But the one Mary you don't find at the tomb is this Mary. You don't find this Mary of Bethany at the tomb. You know why? Because she got it. She wasn't going to the tomb to anoint his body with spices. She knew that her Savior was going to rise from the dead. She's the only Mary that got it. She was in tune and in touch with who he was. And she listened. And when he said, I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to take it back up again in three days, she wasn't at the tomb. Mary of Bethany was the only Mary listed who didn't go to the tomb because he's not going to be there. There's no reason to go to the tomb. She's waiting on him to, to rise from the dead. That's her heart. That's her passion. That's her faith. And that's what's available for you as well. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter how far from God you've strayed, you have an opportunity to be in love and to be loved by the greatest Savior of the entire world. I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down and get in place. And maybe today you'd like special prayer. Maybe today you'd like to be prayed for and to be prayed over. Maybe today you would like to give your life to Christ. I really want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized and you still don't want to be baptized, that's okay. Just come out this afternoon. Come out and watch extravagance. There'll only be about three or four million of us out there this afternoon. I mean, I mean, we take over Honeymoon Island Beach. We take it over. It's ours. We own that beach. And, and people are watching. People are coming up all around us like, who are these crazy Christians around there? And they can't. Just come and just watch tonight. Just watch the extravagance of God. But perhaps right now, it's your time 
help me. I need prayer. I want somebody to pray for me. I want somebody to pray over me. I want, I want more. I want more. I want more. Brian Head Welsh, the leader of the band Corn, is the least likely candidate to have surrendered his life to be raising a, a daughter and to be serving God in a, a significant way. If he can do it, you can do it. I can do it. We can do it. We surrender to you this morning, Lord Jesus, and we want to say that we love you and thank you for loving us. Oh, you're great. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.